Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not with us for this episode, but will be returning very soon. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. This is part two of a two-part series that has possibly already ruffled some feathers, which is something, something that we appreciate and love. We are... Continuing our journey into conspiracies surrounding the political dynasty known as the Clintons here in the United States. Please do check out episode one. Uh, also, please do check out our earlier conversation on this, Matt, I think it was 2016 when uh, we also caught some heat because we got asked by so many of our fellow listeners to look at so many conspiracies surrounding uh, the presidential candidates at the time, which would have been Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, and after a little bit of conversation with our our good pal Jake Hanrahan over at uh, Popular Front, we decided to uh, take the benefit of retrospect 
and really drill down into some of these some of these theories about the Clinton family. Um, earlier in our, our previous episode, earlier this week, we looked into something called the Clinton body count, uh, and we barely scratched the surface of that. By the way, there are we gave you a good intro, a good primer on this, but. Um, there are more than 50 or so folks now who are alleged to be um, murdered in some way by a former U.S. president or an on-the-way U.S. president and uh, his spouse. Today, we are finally, finally, man, we're going to Whitewater. And sadly, it's not the amusement park. What? I know. Oh. I'm sorry. I know. I got so excited, man. The Me too. The slides at Whitewater were so epic when I was a kid. All right. Well, hopefully this one's fun and exciting and there will be some cotton candy involved. Hopefully. Hopefully. Probably not, but hopefully. Right? <laughs> Hope springs eternal. Here are the facts. So, uh, Matt, earlier uh, this week, you and Noel and I and Mission Control explored kind of the the space between fact and fiction, right? We looked at the proven history of both uh, William Clinton and Hillary Clinton's political careers, all the way from their initial meeting at Yale in a library to their time in Arkansas through their ascendancy from regional to national politics, uh, went uh, traced controversies, all the way up to Bill Clinton's term as president, uh, Hillary Clinton's career as senator, secretary of state, candidate for the Democratic Party as president of the United States. Uh, I don't think it's a hot take, man, to say that these are controversial figures. No, it's not a hot take at all. Uh, as political figures go, the amount of controversy shared between the two of them is pretty astronomical. Honestly, uh, if, if you look at other even recent political figures, like look at look at President Obama, just as a case in point, there was controversy around him that was generated kind of uh, often out of nothing, like uh, some of the stories about his birth certificate, some of the I mean, if you really think about the controversy around him, like there wasn't a ton, right, that, that you can just think about and, and conjure in your mind. There wasn't a ton about George W. Bush. I mean, there were there were things, there were, there were issues with him, as there were with President Obama, but they weren't these, like, court cases. They, they weren't these uh, pretty <laughs> intense um, stuff about their background and, and how they rose to power, right? Um, with, with Bush, it was like, oh yeah, his dad was president and that's kind of fishy. And then you look at his background, uh, in the oil business and everything. And even with Trump, uh, you look at him and you think about his past with television, his past with real estate and some of the weird money and tax stuff, but it's not the same as what we see with the Clintons. Multiple sexual assault charges. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right there. Uh, but it's just, it's, I think combined the Clintons just have so much that we have to look at. Yeah, agreed. And we're going into this knowing that there's quite a bit of propaganda involved. And as we said in episode one, you know, the Clinton administration occurred during a massive 
massive growth in political divisiveness, right, in terms of something akin to tribalism, right, which uh, plagues this country today. Propaganda is weird because the opponents of the Clinton administration, who were also the opponents of uh, Hillary Clinton's terms as a senator and as secretary of state, uh, they these opponents did not shy away from propaganda and did not worry too too often nor too ardently about whether or not an allegation could be supported by fact. Uh, this was, you know, this was what is often called in media red meat, right? It's something juicy. It's a headline that you can click. We call it clickbait now. Uh, so our question is, even after putting the propaganda aside, why is it so disturbingly easy to understand why so many people in the U.S. and abroad might have problems with this political dynasty? To say, again, the quiet part out loud, it is not meritocratic for f- members of the same family to hold the reins of political power. And unfortunately, this is a problem that has plagued the United States for many, many decades across political parties. Uh, you know, one of the things that became mimetic was uh, the the idea of her emails, right? Hillary Clinton's emails, which we'll get into today. Uh, the idea of this whole whitewater thing, which uh, I think, Matt, you and I are both sad to learn is a real estate scandal, allegedly, and not a water park. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll also have to ask a question common to any political force of this caliber, which is, are there nonprofits actually nonprofits? Is the Clinton Foundation just that, a charitable organization? Or was it and is it a backdoor for undue political influence? You know what I think, Matt? Let's just uh let's maybe pause for a word from our sponsor and then and then dive in. Is our sponsor Whitewater? I hope not. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, Matt. Whitewater. Mm -hmm. This is something we didn't get to in episode one. So we talked a little bit about this in our 2016 episode where we did both conspiracies or allegations against the, the Trump campaign and conspiracies or allegations against the Clinton campaign, which was Hillary Clinton at the time. But this those episodes, by the way, came out like a week before the election, I think <laughs> they did. <laughs> oh, we're great at timing. Uh, we're we're real Christmas in July, folks. But uh, <laughs> but this Whitewater thing, um, I think the news about it has been around for much of 
our lives, you, you and me, and probably a lot of our listeners, because it dates back to, it came to public attention in the 1990s, but the substance of the events is actually, it's, it's older than a lot of us listening today. Oh, yeah. I do recall watching news about the Whitewater scandal with my parents at their house when I was a kid. I have no idea what it was. Like, I didn't understand any of it. I just knew the phrase Whitewater, and I saw Bill Clinton's face on the television. Um, (laughs) And I didn't realize it went back to the 1970s, well before I was ever uh, conceived to even be a thing uh, or even a, a potential thing. So... This is this is kind of weird. It's a little complicated, but let's get into it. As you said, Ben, it has to do with real estate, with purchasing land and then hoping to develop that land and just make buku bucks on whatever whatever uh, sits upon that land at some point. Uh, we know about it because of investigations that were were done by a certain independent counsel that was a rock star at the time, someone named Kenneth Starr. And uh, it's really interesting because out of there was so much scandal, there's so much press about this on the news constantly. But in the end, nobody really got in trouble. At least the Clintons didn't get in trouble. There are other people yeah. who were involved in the scandal who did very much get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. This is going to have a lot of shades of House of Cards for for people, right? That mm-hmm. I think I I think that's. It's fair to say that House of Cards, the very well done political drama, it's a bit of a soap opera. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it takes a lot of cues from the public perception of Bill and Hillary Clinton. It's interesting, but it kind of combines the two of them into the two characters in different ways. So it's a neat amalgam where it's not fully Bill and Hillary as the power couple in House of Cards, but they are kind of a, a mesh of one another. Yeah, just so. And, of course, that's because it is a work of fiction, House of Cards. Yes. And, and, and we can do, we can do a, a, maybe a Kevin Spacey episode later, but it would feel a little unclean. Anyway, I love, I love the way you've introduced uh, our buddy Kenny Starr. He is alive. He is an American lawyer. He was a U.S. circuit judge uh, for several years, a solicitor general of the United States. He was a guy who was on a mission during this period of time. And his mission which he accepted, was to, by hook or by crook, bring down the Clinton administration. That's an apolitical statement. Those are just the facts. It's not a conspiracy. It's pretty clear that this guy and his puppeteers were doing anything possible to find find some way to bring down Bill Clinton, which is surprising because, as we'll find, the Clinton administration actually did a lot of stuff that Ken Starr's masters probably wanted. As you said, the Clintons were never formally charged with a crime in the case of Whitewater. Several of their associates didn't do as well. Here's what happened. The Clinton family 
partnered with another family, the McDougals, James and Susan McDougal, and their scheme was, I'm using the British connotation of scheme. It wasn't really a conspiracy. It was like their plan. Uh, they wanted to buy 230 acres of land, and on this land, they wanted to build a bunch of vacation spots. They, they essentially wanted to sell second homes to folks. That was their demographic, right? Folks who can afford a second home and retirees, possibly. Uh, and this is strange because at this time, this story really starts when Bill Clinton is already governor of Arkansas. He's the governor of an entire state. He's elected in 1978. And at this time, his spouse, Hillary Clinton, is an associate at a law firm, and they're looking for ways to make extra cash. That's totally true. And imagine, folks, everybody listening today, uh, unless you are one of 50 people, you are not governor of a state. So wherever you are at in your life, you have to ask yourself, would I be looking for a side gig if I was the governor of the state in which I live now? That's baffling to me, but it happens all the time. Most governors have, you know, multiple business interests. Oh, for sure. So in this business interest back in 78, when Bill Clinton was Governor Clinton, of Arkansas. We were working with the McDougals and looking at that 230 acres in a place called or near Flippin, Arkansas. Like, isn't that hilarious? Flippin, Arkansas. We're going to buy some land out in Flippin, Arkansas, and we're going to put vacation homes on it and make all kinds of money. If you're looking at a map of Arkansas with Little Rock kind of in the center of it right there, that's where the Clintons were hanging, you know, running, running the place. Uh, Flippin is north. Almost due north, a little bit to the west, and it is right at the the top there before you get into Missouri. And uh, I mean, it is. It, I'm I'm imagining it here in Georgia, and this is just for anybody in Georgia who's listening, because this is how I'm picturing it in my mind. We're in Atlanta, which isn't the center of Georgia; it's kind of north central Georgia. And if you go north from us in the same direction, in the same way, you would hit the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is a very popular vacation place or a place to own a cabin uh, as a second home or something like that. So I'm imagining it kind of like that, but probably a little more nice than the cabins I've stayed at in Blue Ridge. Yeah, the concept is sound, right? So this guy, James McDougal, goes to the Clinton family goes to the governor of Arkansas and says, hey, uh, you guys want to get into the vacation home business? And they have this like series of double dates, you know, James and Susan and Bill and Hillary, and they lay out this plan. So what they want to do is make a nice getaway destination for folks who enjoy the outdoors. And they say, okay, we're going to sell these homes and people can go fishing on them, right? Or they can go hiking, you know, it's a place to take, uh, take your grandkids over the summer, that kind of stuff. But they messed up. It's not a conspiracy. They messed up in just the, the basic hygiene of the idea. The land itself was not super good. 
It wasn't readily accessible in a lot of ways. Uh, It was still recovering from previous flooding. And that accessibility piece is something that would not have changed regardless of flooding. You would need you would need to lay an interstate a little bit closer, or you would need to have other things that pull people in that this development could sort of satellite off of. Like the Blue Ridge Mountains here in Georgia, that works because of its um, location relative to an interstate and state roads. Well, yeah, I think it's the state roads are the most important thing. Just like you, even if the interstate isn't that close, you can easily uh, get on non-dirt roads, you know, paved roads to the place that you need to be. It's it's not that far out of the way. There's infrastructure there. Infrastructure. There it is. That's that's the billion dollar word, right? Um, you can have very opulent places like uh, there's a place a lot of people don't talk about nationally here in Georgia called Sea Island. Sea Island is very posh. I have to go there sometimes. It's candidly not my favorite place. People are pretty Wait, why nice. Do you, why do you have to go there, Ben? Be, uh, there's a lot of inequality. Uh, so the, uh, the, the issue with, I'm not, not taking questions, Matt. So (laughs) the, uh, the, the issue is they didn't pick a good starting position, you know, just like a game of civilization, uh, or does position matter in, uh, Catan? We're talking tabletop games. Yeah, it does. Right. You get to choose, you choose where your starting point is, I think. Or you roll for it? Uh, I can't remember. I haven't played in years. Okay. okay. All right. Well, we know position is key. They they chose a poor position. Uh, they were also, and this is not really on the McDougals or the Clintons, they were also at the mercy of a larger financial climate. Interest rates were on the rise, which means that even if they had a primo position, you know, even if they had a little corner piece of the brownie pan, of vacation homes, uh, a lot of people couldn't afford to buy a second home. They were trying to hold on to the one they had. Uh, The Clintons, as a result, lost uh, an estimated $46,000 on this. And this is, again, through, what'd you say, 1978 to 1986. Many years later, the investigation starts occurring. Uh, Federal regulators are looking at not Whitewater, but another real estate investment. Oh, yeah. This one is it's a project called Castle Grand. Uh, You you undoubtedly heard about this, too, if you were paying attention at the time. This was backed specifically by James of the McDougals in their power couple. And this investigation led to James McDougal having to resign from the company that he started company called Madison Guarantee was, I believe this was the savings and loan that he was working, that he started and was working for. It was, uh, he started that one right fall, right after the whole Whitewater thing kicked off. And mm-hmm. I think it was maybe even to get Whitewater to happen. And the bank ended up collapsing. It was pretty terrible. 
pretty terrible for James at least. Uh, and it only went downhill from there for him. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit about McDougal. Uh, he passed away in 1998. Uh, he was hand in hand with the world of Arkansas finance and Arkansas politics. Ultimately, this guy gets convicted on 18 separate counts of fraud and conspiracy charges. Uh, these were all due to uh, loans made by his company, Madison, in the late 1980s. And check this out, folks. Because this company was federally insured, the $68 million that his company owed legally was paid by you if you live in the United States. It was paid with taxpayer money. That's what federally insured means. Uh, so, so funny enough, our boy Kenny asked for a reduced sentence for James McDougal because McDougal was assisting with the Whitewater investigation. And questions surrounding the Clintons' involvement with Whitewater only grew during President Clinton's first term in office. The investigation about this uh, primarily was concerned with whether they conspired or whether they did anything illegal. Uh, the prosecutor who was appointed for this was a guy named Robert B. Fisk. And there were concerns that Bill Clinton himself pr was pressuring people, was pressing them into financially assisting the Whitewater deal, even though the land was bad, even though it was known by now that people were not able to afford a second home, uh, Clinton reputedly or allegedly pushed this guy named David Hale, the president of another uh, business investment firm, into making a loan and then other allegations come out and it looks like the money is dirty. It looks like uh, the campaign that Bill Clinton had to become governor of Arkansas was using laundered cash through Madison Guarantee uh, via its owner, McDougal, or its creator. It was a $300,000 loan that this guy, David Hale, was being pressured by, allegedly by Clinton and by the McDougals and outside forces to make, to give this loan to the McDougals and the Clintons through um, through the Madison company that McDougal owned, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like somebody's putting pressure on this bank to give this other bank $300,000. And then that money would go up to Whitewater and that investment would then channel money back to the original investors, then that money back to the original bank that made the loan. But it's just weird because it seems as though the money, as you said, Ben, was just kind of making a little, traveling a little trail so that that money could actually be used somewhere else. Because it sure as heck didn't seem like it got used on the old whitewater uh, <laughs> flipping Arkansas area. And again, that's, you know, that's the thing that bugs me about this, Matt, because Someone should have known that those 230 acres were not prime positioning. Well, I think they did. I think they yeah. did know. Look, this is this is me. I and I 
you can look at the official records and what happened and who got punished for what. Uh, but in my mind, this was a shady way to just get cash, cold hard uh. cash to a political, uh, let's say, asset, a political asset for a group of people that wanted to have that power. With the understanding it would come in later. It was just a different type of investment, right? That's what it feels like to me. Same. I'm with you on that because it's weird. The idea of buying this land and developing this land in this way, if it were created in good faith, it feels amateurish. It feels like people didn't do their due diligence or did not care to do so. Anyhow, I like that you're bringing up the consequences of this. Um, I know we're in the weeds here, but it's important. It's important to know the facts. So this guy Fisk issues a subpoena to President Clinton and Hillary Clinton as uh, they were both involved, related to the problems with Madison Guarantee, which is again run by James McDougal. This happens kind of often when powerful people are asked for their paperwork or their receipts. The documents were missing. No one could find them. And then later, they were found. Were they the same documents? Were they sanitized? Did somebody zhuzh it up a little? Unclear. But all in all, there would be three separate inquiries into this shell game of money, which I think it's accurate to call it that. Uh, Each of these were targeted, again, uh, with political motivations toward Bill and Hillary Clinton. And Each of those, in that respect, was unsuccessful. They failed. They did not find enough evidence to charge the Clintons with crimes. However, as you already pointed out, a lot of other people did go down. They did get convicted, like James McDougal, et cetera, et cetera. And his wife, Susan. They both got got convicted. And James McDougal spent the rest of his life until he died in prison. Yes. And this dude wrote a book in jail. He did. He did. Tell us about the book. Oh, man. Okay. He wrote a book called Arkansas Mischief. He wrote it with a guy named Curtis Wilkie, who's a journalist. And uh, my goodness, this thing has allegations. It's got Mm. some allegations. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we, We talked about the shell game of money. In the book, James McDougal states that they were indeed just getting cash, cash money that had been laundered to Bill Clinton specifically every month. And it was a very calculated move. And uh, well, he writes about it. We'll give you the specifics here in a moment. But every month, James McDougal and his associates would take $2,100 bills, according to James, and hand it to Bill Clinton. So $2,000 every month, and they just give it to him cash. You could use it. You could use it for anything. Think about that. Uh, imagine getting $2,000 extra every month just as a, a, you get to use this money. And then imagine that that's 1980s money. So with just a little bit of cocktail napkin math, we can say $2,000 in 1980 
is equivalent to $7,192.01 today. So if you're getting mailbox money, essentially, right, passive income in the magnitude of $7,000, I have to ask a little bit of a moral question, a moral quandary. What would you do if you just started getting an envelope with $7,000, it, it just showed up, just showed up in your mailbox, just was dropped at your door, no return address. Let's, let's make it even mysterious. No return address. Someone, for some reason, is just sending you seven grand a month. How many questions would you ask? Zero. <laughs> wow, this is great. <laughs> then I would put it all away for like nine months, and then I would buy one of those swimming pools that's like, it looks like a hot tub, but you can just swim oh, in it like a current. Yeah, a I would buy one of those. A Scrooge jacuzzi. That's what I call those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A Scrooge jacuzzi. Scrooge jacuzzi. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, but, okay. So James McDougall in his book, he talks about this and we found some of this from uh, a CNN article from 1998. We just want to give you some of these details because it is intense to hear it from the person that was allegedly doing it. So uh, McDougall says that in the 1980s, he and this other person that worked with him at the savings and loan where he was, where he was working at the time, uh, this person named Henry Hamlin, they quote, developed a system to pass money to Clinton, who was, again, remember this, the governor of the state that they lived in. <laughs> um, here's the quote continued. A contractor agreed to pad, that, like add money to, my monthly construction bill by $2,000. The contractor put the figure on his invoice as a cost for something like gravel, culvert work. After I paid the full amount of that invoice... So everything, including that extra $2,000, the contractor reimbursed me that extra $2,000 and I turned the money over to Henry to give to Clinton. So literally a, a business invoice that is above board that, you know, gets looked at by everybody and it looks fine because you're just paying extra for gravel or something, but that 2000 just comes right off the top. And gets to be cash and go wherever you want it to go. Oh, yeah. You love to see it. You know, you love to see it. <laughs> Especially, uh, oh, man. I, I've said it before, Matt, but I can't get away with a late fee at the library. <laughs> you know, I've tried. <laughs> I've said it like, I'm sorry I'm late with this book. I really enjoyed it and I am using it for research or whatever. And I still get I still get taken to task. So, uh, well, but the question is, why would they do that, Ben? Right, right. Why that was why, the, that was a question. Why we had. obscure the origin of the of the cash? Well, Ben, uh, in this article and in this book that James McDougall again wrote from jail right. after he got convicted of this stuff, he says uh, he just talks about the motivations and. He says one time, this one guy, Henry Hamilton, that he was working with and, you know, had this whole thing going with, uh, McDougal says, Hamlin, at one point after, you know, they're doing this whole exchange thing that Henry's got the $2,000, he gives a quote from Henry who says, you know, Caesar had his Brutus, Charles I had Cromwell, Clinton 
could profit from these examples if he crosses us. What? What? Wait, who are these guys? Who are these guys? Are we talking organized crime here? Crosses us? Are they just trying to build their own political power somehow within Arkansas? Mm. What is going on? (laughs) There's so much more to this story. Yes. Um, And McDougal wrote that this guy, Henry Hamilton, was uh, very adamant about this position and about how important these payments were. Uh, I'm going to give you another quote. McDougal says that Hamilton, quote, insisted that under the table payments would solidify our connections in state government. And he said that uh, Clinton appointed his recommended candidates to state jobs, including state securities commissioner. So that's pretty that's pretty intense. Like they're solidifying their ability to just go to Clinton at some point and say, hey, you know, there's this person who would be really great for this other position. And uh, I really think here's your $2,000 that uh, you should appoint this person. (laughs) I mean, and that's that's true in terms of like what is described in the book and what what we are telling you today folks you can call it uh propaganda or whatever but i i would be careful to avoid that kind of assumption because the records appear to be there and again this guy is writing from jail right he is not one of those folks who gets a pardon by the way, at the, at the end of the administration. <laughs> no. And Matt, as you pointed out earlier, uh, too, off air, Henry Hamilton is beyond the realm of questions now. Oh, yeah, because Hamilton was passed away in 1998 when that article was written in CNN. Dude, there's one more thing in that book that I want to get to, Ben, but I think we need to take a quick break. Should we do that and then come right back? We'll hit one more piece of that book and then move on to Benghazi. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. 
We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. We are going to stay in that 1998 CNN article that we've mentioned. I I should just cite it. Uh, You can find it right now. The title is James McDougall's Last Word is a Tell-All Book. And this... uh, Find that on CNN. This comes from Associated Press. uh, CNN. It does. Yeah. So, yes. Associated Press. Good job. And Reuters and whatever all the all the agencies out there that are just collecting news and sending it everywhere all the hits all the good ones all the slow jobs <laughs> um so we talked about this three hundred thousand dollar loan that was at the heart at least originally at the heart of the whitewater scandal it's three hundred thousand dollars a lot of money and there was a person that we mentioned earlier david hale who was pressured allegedly to make that loan even though he knew this was a bad idea Well, in James McDougall's prison book that he wrote, he states that he at least alleges, let's say, that there was pressure applied on David Hale directly by Bill Clinton, again, the Arkansas governor, because 
Bill Clinton, according to McDougal, may or may not, probably, according to him, was having an affair with Susan McDougal, his spouse. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just jump into this. In the book, according to this AP CNN article, uh, McDougal said that one of Susan McDougal's brothers, a guy named Jim Henley, witnessed this specific meeting. Now, this is hearsay, right? And even in the book, this is hearsay. Um, Jim Henley witnessed a meeting in which Clinton allegedly urged Hale to make this loan. Uh, They call it a fraudulent loan, which just means, I guess, it shouldn't have been made. McDougal said Clinton appeared unexpectedly at the end of some meeting, this meeting that was witnessed. Uh, Right. He just pops in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Arkansas governor's like, Oh, hey, hey boys. <laughs> Clinton how, here. How uh, are you all? <laughs> are we talking about uh, Susan's loan? Yeah, yeah. Allegedly says that. Yeah. Did you uh did you discuss Susan's loan? Tell, tell me about it. Um, and the big question was like, well, why is the governor here? Why is he asking specifically about this weird loan for Susan McDougal? Uh, why did he care about it? And James McDougal, at least according to the book, concluded again that Clinton and Susan had resumed. This is a this is the word that's used in the article. Resumed an affair, which which we don't have the full context here, but that means that it was likely something that happened before and now is happening again, or at least there was some pressure on Bill Clinton to make this loan happen. Uh, so then he was applying pressure to David Hale. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who, here's he the best appointed, part, right? That's the best part about it. David Hale was appointed by the governor, Bill Clinton. David Hale was appointed a judge by the governor, Bill Clinton. And then, so the guy who make, who makes your career or at least the point of it comes up and says, what's going on with that? What's going on with that loan? Run the jewels, <laughs> basically. Ah, geez. So, okay. So all to say, there are books out there. There are a lot of things. We have to be, again, very cognizant and clear-minded about the motivation of a lot of these sources because there's always going to be uh, propaganda, smear pieces, whenever you're talking about anybody in the world of politics. But... From Matt, from what we're saying here, again, just being objective, what we're saying here, uh, <laughs> we can conclude the following. Whether or not the Clintons were involved with or aware of financial shenanigans in the case of Whitewater, that's never been proven, but it doesn't look good. Does, no, it does not look good. It, it's like to the point where you would have to be kind of incompetent not to be aware of what was happening. So the narrative of, oh, let's get people vacation homes in flipping Arkansas. It feels like, it feels like it's skipping a lot of steps, you know? I I have to say one last thing about James McDougal, just from the writing that I saw. Uh, There's something I don't know if it's virtuous about him. I don't know if any of this is true, but a lot of the writing I saw about him says that he was attempting until his dying day to get his wife uh, acquitted of everything to, to get a pardon for his wife, even though at least according to his writings in his book, he knew that she was having an affair or at least believed that she was having an affair. I don't know. It's just seems like he would, he knew his ship has sailed, but he wanted to, save the others 
if he could, or at least his wife. Love is a weird thing, man. It's a very strange thing. Also, he had a lot of time to think about it because that's what prison gives you. So at this point, there are a couple of other things we haven't gotten to. Do we want to touch Benghazi, the emails? I think we do need to talk about the Clinton Foundation. So Benghazi is something you can look at specifically. It's way more of a political scandal. There are deaths involved. There's tragedy involved in that scandal. Uh, I, I would just say, Ben, it has, it has a lot to do with the reaction of Secretary of State, then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and uh, the State Department, and how it just how quickly it reacted to a crisis, and how much early warning was given to people who were going to be affected by tensions that were rising. September eleventh, two thousand and twelve. Yes, three U.S. nationals and the ambassador at the time, Chris Stevens. They are murdered during the seizure of a diplomatic compound in Benghazi, which is located in Libya. Uh, Members of Congress at the time said that then-Secretary of State Clinton was misleading people about the reality on the ground. And then there were were rumors, allegations that uh, then-President Barack Obama and SOS Clinton were watching this stuff happen or, or were getting reports of it in very close to real time, and just not doing anything about it. And these accusations came largely from their political party opponents. Uh, the the charges, uh, as you can see, uh, Amber, Amber Phillips, right, you found this one, does a great job laying these out in an article for the Washington Post from 2016, which is, you know, has the benefit of retrospect. The the, the five ideas, or the five chief accusations are that the State Department did not protect U.S. diplomats in Libya. It's a little bit, that sounds bad, but it's even worse when we remember that the State Department has a long, long-standing policy and practice of only protecting certain sorts of assets or employees. There are a lot of people left out in the cold. Especially when you remember that Muammar Gaddafi was killed in the previous year, 2011. So before these attacks. So that the French could maintain hegemony over the currency. That's the reason Libya fell. And it should have been a known thing that this area was dangerous, right? And there's potential for some kind of attack, you know, in any State Department property. Uh, So it just feels, I think that accusation of the State Department failed to protect its diplomats there. It's just, it's added to that because it was a time of high tension. Right, right. Next two accusations are of incompetence, essentially, that the CIA missed signals in advance uh, that the Defense Department, DOD, didn't respond in time. Uh, And then there's the idea that the presidential administration, the Obama administration, stymied the investigation, put up stone walls. Uh, Also, the, the concept that a Clinton aide 
Cheryl Mills, I believe, former chief of staff for Clinton, uh, had influenced the State Department's review and investigation. There's an 11-hour-long hearing on this. Uh, the Democratic side is saying that it's it's a hit piece, that the you know, their implication is that the Republican side only really wants to get the Democrats in trouble, right? And this is a little bit supported, by the way, uh, by a comment from the major- House Majority Leader at the time, Representative Kevin McCarthy, who says hey, this panel's work is hurting the Clinton poll numbers in that uh, presidential race, but that investigation for a lot of for a lot of people, a lot of a lot of just like common observers in the U.S. that lost steam. People became much more concerned with the thing that was mimetic and easy. You could say, but her emails, and real quick with the email thing. So the FBI and the DOJ, Department of Justice, looked into whether or not Hillary Clinton's private email server was moving secret information, right, Uh, during her time as the Secretary of State. Or or hiding things from other official sources. Right. Exactly. Whether whether it was getting a little too casual. Ultimately, long story short, the State Department says, look, they didn't follow the rules for safeguarding information, basic OPSEC hygiene, you know, uh, and that Clinton as Secretary of State, she had not asked for approval or given a heads up to use this private server. And they said, this person would not have been given permission if she had asked for it. So for anyone, I feel like the best way to explain this one, Matt, is is through comparison. So for anyone with, with an office job, this might sound familiar. A lot of people, including us, have played fast and loose with this kind of hygiene when it comes to personal stuff on work email or work email, work conversations on personal things you know like um wait you've been playing fast and loose with that not anymore uh uh you know uh you and you and our 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 dear friend noel and i have a kind of off the books group chat that we use and a while back i had asked us to move to a more secure platform which makes me sound like a nut but you know, you have these kind of conversations. Your mileage may vary depending on your occupation. If you run your own business, then you might treat your work email address as a personal account. But if you like our pal Guarev, shout out to you, man. If if you work in info sensitive industries, tech, proprietary engineering, finance, etc., or you know, Matt, the top levels of the world's most dangerous government ever. There are protocols in place to make sure that official communication stays with, you know, you at work server, work email address, instead of, you know, big quesadilla fan, right, at Gmail or whatever. Well, especially if you're, you know, the head diplomat, essentially, slash 
uh, <clears throat> tradecraft, cough, cough. You're the, you're like the top of the state department, right? So you're like, you run serious things for the government. I can, I can imagine why it would be advantageous to be able to control what information is public domain and what is not. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's, even if it's classified or top secret, right? If it's on one of these government servers, it is part of the public record. It's just who has access to it or or not. Right. Right. And also there's, it's, it's like some, it's like guacamole. Congress should be able to have it upon request, right? The, the American public, the halls of power should be able to have it <laughs> just like on quack. request. So, <laughs> so uh, this all happens way before, you know, the stuff that's going on now as we record with a clear cover-up uh, in terms of deleting communications from uh, January 6th, right? So we've got just a little bit of time left. We need to talk about something called the Clinton Foundation. And again, we are being objective. Uh, for anybody in For anybody in the audience today who feels like the Clinton administration are a bunch of absolute villains, uh, you should know, you should be well aware, by the way, that the rest of the world recognizes this objective fact. The Clintons in practice and policy are not leftist. They are center-right and in the political spectrum. That's just true. And, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of political opponents have made a killing, not quite a Clinton body count killing, but they've made a killing by pretending that is not the case. So let's look again at the money, which is apolitical, by the way. Everybody's just trying to make money, right? Uh, shout out to uh, Pelosi over in Taiwan. And shout out NVIDIA as well. So Gotta get them chips. Gotta get them chips. So the, the Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea Clinton Foundation is an international charitable organization that was founded back in 1997, originally to create the presidential library. That's a cool, that's a cool, uh, you know, knock-on effect of being president of the United States. Whether or not you survive your term, even if you don't like reading, you get a library at the end. That's kind of cool. And <laughs> it's like the watch. It's like the retirement it's like watch the retirement. from the 1960s. It is. it is. And then the the books and the speaking tours, but you know, you have to survive your term to do those. Uh if you, mm-hmm. you know, no matter mm-hmm. what happens, you get the library. So this is weird because it's not a personally endowed private charitable foundation. Those usually serve as pass-throughs for donations to other groups that do on-the-ground work, right? Like the, um, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funds other initiatives. That's a big part of what they do. The Clinton Foundation, in contrast, is an operating foundation, which means that it takes the money and then it does its own charitable activities. This is controversial because it's an organization that brings in billions of dollars in donations from around the world. It's operated by a former U.S. president 
and another very high-powered, very influential politician who served as Secretary of State during another presidential administration. This creates, whether whether you're a fan or a foe, just objectively, this creates some conflicts of interest, you know, uh, it's, it's also, it's so funny the way money moves at the top, right? In the official channel. So during the presidential campaign of 2016, both candidates signed stuff that was ostensibly removing them from money, right? Uh, both Trump and Clinton. So, so Clinton signs this, uh, this document that says, I am not going to participate in anything that could have a, quote, direct and predictable effect on the Clinton Foundation unless I get, like, a permission note. Just like going on a field trip when you're a kid. Unless I get a permission, a written waiver from the overall administration. Critics of Clinton hated this. They said this foundation opens the door for donors to have undue backdoor influence on the actions of Clinton uh, should she become the commander in chief. Well, it, it, it sounds like the whitewater scandal, right? It sounds like what we, what James McDougall wrote in his book about getting that extra money under the table to the Clintons, because you could use that foundation. I'm not saying they did use that foundation to get undue access, right? Or to get, you know, money just, that's what we mean by access, right? Here's some money. Now have a meeting with me. Um, that's what we really mean. Yeah, and also it's weird too because bribery is a huge part of politics in this country. It's just you call it lobbying, right? Check out – oh, gosh, in case you're seeing the YouTube part. Check out our chapter on lobbying in the forthcoming book, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, and get ready to be depressed. So you're right. This is an opportunity. It's not the same thing as saying this did actually occur. Uh, also, we want to shout out a book from 2015 by Peter Schweizer called Clinton Cash. This book attempts to lay out um, an argument that this backdoor influence peddling did occur. There were were several back and forths on this in 2016. Three different FBI field offices said we need to launch a probe into possibilities of conflict of interest between the Clinton Foundation and the State Department because there's been some, you know, they were like, there's been some f***ery, just to be honest with you, like folks. And so... This book made waves. The Justice Department conducted its own review of the allegations made in in that work. And the Justice Department came back and told the FBI there were no grounds for a formal investigation. Still, there are continuing questions about the objectivity of the Justice Department throughout administrations, right? So... What we're laying out is there are genuine problems, right? It's not for nothing that people have this criticism, but we would like to close on some genuine problems. So we've talked about the conspiracies. We've talked about the strange like bubble of perspective that happens when when people are taught, uh, you know, 
to to treat politics like sports, which it very much should not mm. be treated as. Uh, so the question is, the question is, why do these allegations have such staying power? Huge part of it, previous campaign cycle. The Trump campaign leaned in very, very hard to various rumors without fact-checking many of them just to discredit as much as they could their political opponents. Things that had faded from the national discourse got some brand new high-octane gas in the age of social media. You've got a spouse that was running for president, uh, so... Any again, they're inextricably linked, right. Bill and Hillary, right? So anytime one of them makes a move, all of this baggage moves that way, and then the other one moves, and the baggage just shifts towards that person. So it's just a constant, a constantly shifting bag of badgers that they've got attached uh, to their belts. Right. Yes, they've got a lot of badgers in that bag, uh, and this there's this other thing that people need to talk about more. It doesn't matter right now who you voted for or who you agree or disagree with. Objectively, one of the most damaging things that occurred to every American uh, in, in this age of ubiquitous communication, it occurred under the Clinton administration. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 is very pro-big business, very like, free market policy, it opened the door to monopolization of media. Think about it this way. In 1983, about 90% of every piece of media you could see was controlled by a, a mix of 50 different companies. It's already kind of small, right? Today, about 90% of mass media in the U.S. is controlled by six companies, went from 50 to 6. And that's due to that Telecommunications Act. And also, yes, yes, he did perjure himself uh, in regard to the Lewinsky scandal. And the, <laughs> the uh, like... That depends on what your definition of is, is. Right, yeah. right. You and Noel pointed this out in part one. Uh, he was eventually acquitted, but the Senate was split 50-50 as to whether or not he had obstructed justice. And the, the, one of the things that I think is very important to end on whenever we talk about this, right? We're not trying to assassinate characters here. We're just giving you the facts. The Clinton administration played a big role in massively accelerating incarceration in the United States. And the United States, it has a devil in the doorway when it comes to the prison system. And ultimately, there are going to be there already are intergenerational consequences, but ultimately uh, that society, the U.S., is going to have to reckon with the consequences of, of this action. It is not normal. It is not a good thing, nor is it sustainable for so very many people to be imprisoned. And the Clinton administration played a direct role in what is happening now. So go ahead and just right now, while you've got time, search for, quote, truth in sentencing. Uh, if, if you go ahead and do that, you will find some terrifying things, some realities that 
uh, at least Bill Clinton had a lot to do with in a crime bill that was passed in 1994, uh, the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. Just look that up. There's going to be an episode on that coming soon. Don't, or, or hey, forget about it, everybody. Pay no attention to the crime behind the curtain. Look, he he's your president. He plays saxophone. How cool. Yeah, don't, don't listen to private pilot Larry Vysosky, <laughs> who flew a plane for Jeffrey Epstein. Don't listen to him testifying that Bill Clinton was on the plane and Trump and a bunch of other people and Prince Andrew. It's cool. Don't worry about any or of it. Or if you're on the left, don't ask these questions, right? Ah, uh, no. There's only <laughs> good guys and bad guys. Look, essentially what we found is that the more alarmist claims against the Clintons are easily debunked. Uh, but the Clinton political dynasty doesn't walk away looking like unassailable paragons of virtue. Spoiler, no one at that level is an unassailable paragon of virtue. Uh, a lot of the attacks and allegations against them are propaganda made by political opponents, but there are compelling cases just in this in this introduction we've done that indicate evidence of backroom dealings and let's say creative ways of juggling money. The scariest part of all of this fellow conspiracy realists, that's how the game is played in the United States and many other countries. At some point you have to ask, do all politicians have a closet full of stuff they don't want you to know? We've got one skeleton in our closet. It's a literal skeleton. Her name is Scully. Uh, and we got nothing on these folks. Uh, honorable mention, Christopher Hitchens. You know him. He wrote this delightfully spiteful and obsessively documented work that was meant to cause problems called No One Left to Lie To. And this is, uh, this is a, a pretty solid read. Uh, the, guy, the guy has a pen that spits fire. Uh, he, during his life, was very, very angry all the time at a lot of things. And when he applied that uh, cantankerous perspective to the Clinton administration, he makes he makes a solid case that that administration actually, despite you know their public messaging to the political left, they did a lot of what the political right wanted. There shouldn't be this many people in prison. And it's, you know, it's not as simple as blue v. red. You know, it's not as simple as good versus bad. And that's an important thing to remember. But the most important thing to remember is that we can't wait to hear from you. Matt, this, we, we went long. We made this a two-parter. It's almost a three-parter. What do you think? You think? People find us on Facebook? Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. I, I can't even remember in the series. Do we even talk about Paula Jones and the Arkansas we scandal haven't gotten to and so much that stuff. led to Lewinsky? And, yeah. Man, okay. Hey, um, all right. By the way, uh, so, you know, Noel is, uh, just to be clear, folks, Noel is... Noel's working on a real estate deal with us, uh, stuff they don't want you to know. We're, we're looking at about 230 acres of... Uh, of prime prime Florida swampland. It worked for Disney. <laughs> it's in freaking Florida. Uh not quite as nice as flipping Arkansas, but it's pretty yeah, good. Freaking Florida. Uh 
we can't wait. Uh, you know, we did the math on climate change. We think it's going to work out for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Well, any landing you can walk away from. Uh, yeah, folks, we, we will have Noel returning soon. Matt and I will be coming back with an episode we know you'll love. What is the truth about truth serum? No spoilers. It's going to be a wild ride. Find us on the internet. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. And if you don't sip the social meads, why not give us a call with, uh, you know, with your hand, your ears, your mouth parts? Oh, yes. You can call us 1-833-STDWYTK. When you give a call, please give yourself a cool name. Let us know if we can use your name and message on one of our listener mail episodes. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. But if you've got more to say, then can fit in there. Why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.